Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Mathadon. Thanks for tuning in. Vietnamese Bostonians rung in the Lunar New Year with colorful celebrations and pride in their culture. A wish for security, good health, and prosperity in 2024 surround families at the Tet Lunar Year celebration at Viet Aid in Dorchester. For us, uh, our New Year is a combination of uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year. It's a day for uh, celebration, for looking forward to the future. And uh, we also uh, want to uh, show to our younger generation uh, that uh, we have good tradition, good custom, so they can be proud of their heritage. Uh, any kid uh, who is proud of their heritage will be a good person in the future. On Saturday, the Chinese and Vietnamese New Year's coincided as both cultures usher in the Year of the Dragon with festive lion dances. Tet, which is short for Tet Nguyen Dan, is the most important celebration in Vietnamese culture. Families in Fields Corner gather dressed in red to drive away bad spirits and pass on sacred traditions through food, dance, and family reunions. Holding on to your culture and staying connected to your roots is really important. Um, a lot of it is built in tradition and storytelling and uh, family time. And I think that without culture, without heritage, and without remembering our roots, we, we can't really move forward. Um, and I think, I'd like to believe that my Vietnamese culture and my connection to my Vietnamese culture is grounded by what my parents have taught me and what my grandparents have taught me. And so um, I'd like to move, I'd like to bring that forward with me uh, and pass it on to younger generations. The Tet is a very important holiday for Vietnamese all over the world. Uh, Tet means that family will be reunited together to celebrate uh, the new beginning. Uh, it used to be uh, the celebration of the uh, harvesting a long, long time ago, but for us nowadays, it's it just uh, an opportunity to be together to welcome the new year, especially this year is the year of the dragon. It symbolizes prosperity, uh, strength, uh, and especially prosperity for all. At Viet Aid, Tet, a year of new beginnings, is also one of transition, as Fields Corner youth who once learned about the holiday are now the leaders passing it on. This is a beautiful, really important tradition for all the families in the area. I've had the chance to come for over a decade now and see little kids become the MCs and now the executive directors of the organization. And it's so important for all of us to be able to celebrate our cultural traditions, our family traditions. It gives a sense of belonging, it gets a sense of connection, and really weaves all of our generations together in the city to build a, a stronger community. Here's to a happy new year and thriving path forward for all. Students of all ages and their families suited up in their winter jackets and headed over to the Boston Common for the Children's Winter Fest. Students are on break from Boston Public Schools this week, and they have one destination in mind, fun. On Wednesday, the Children's Winter Fest in Boston Common knew exactly what the assignment was, 
delivering bounce houses, fire trucks, slides, and more. We purposely hold this event during school vacation week because we know that many families go out of town and plenty of families stay in town. And it's really important to offer them an opportunity to get out, blow off some steam, get energy out in the middle of school vacation week, in the middle of winter. The parents never have to open their wallets. Everything's free. It's all ages. It's family friendly, so all generations can enjoy it. I really like the week off of school because it's all, you get to enjoy all the fun rides and it's just really nice to have spend time with your family and outside. Students played with instruments, gave their all in games at the park, and made new friends, engaging with different communities and stepping out of their routines. I'm a teacher and Leo goes to daycare in, uh, in the city and today this is our week off. So uh, an event like this is like a wonderful opportunity to get out of the house, to enjoy a little bit like the sunny day and the, you know, not as cold day to give the kids some entertainment and, and get them out of the house. So it's really important that the city puts together something like this for us with children to enjoy. Kids are out of school this week. It's just nice to get them out of the house for a little bit and um, to enjoy some fresh air and not sitting in front of the TV. And after three years of a pandemic, it's also nice to have them see some other people and to play. So it's been great. The city organized the no-cost event, placing equity at its center, making space for families of all economic means to take part. So the kids have this week off and this is a great event so that kids are able to get outside and enjoy some fresh air. There's a lot of free things that are happening. I think that's great for the community, especially families who may not be able to afford certain things for their children. Um, and they seem to be having an enjoyable time with the bouncy houses, the snacks. So I think this is a really great event. With no school and good weather ahead, students of Boston are sliding through the next few days. A26 Boston brought students and activists together at a book signing dedicated to the dialogue around one question. Why does everything have to be about race? This month, A26 Boston hosted New York Times bestselling author, lawyer, and former White House aide to President Clinton, Keith Boykin. Community residents gathered in Roxbury for the special meet-and-greet book signing of his latest novel, Why Does Everything Have to Be About Race? A portion of the proceeds directly supported A26 Boston. However, I wanted to ask if there's a solution for affirmative action that you thought about replacing it with. Well, um, reparations. <laughs> Teens from A26 Boston's Youth Literary Advisory Board led a provoking Q&A session with Boykin, which had all in the room considering the larger implication of race in our times. Um, definitely more educated than I was. Um, I think when I started to like read the book and I actually got to talk to him, um, I only had kind of a limited amount, you know, high school or learned ex or just lived experience. But actually getting to know him as a person, getting to know what he wanted to say, and getting to learn facts from history from his book, um, I definitely feel more prepared to you know have these conversations with my parents. As the black community grapples with the overturning of affirmative action and erasure of black history in schools, Boykin believes youth should be at the forefront of the conversation and that solutions will come from this generation. It was really uh, a treat for me to be here at 826 Boston to have a conversation with three wonderful young people who are asking me questions, uh, three high school students 
Uh, so we had Justice, Oriana, and Ismail, and they were really provocative and insightful questions. I'm very impressed. And it got me, it gave me an opportunity to, to really see how young people think about these issues. And it gave me also a, a lot of faith, <laughs> a lot of faith that the, the things are, that, the things are, that our country, our, our, our future is in, in good hands. In Nubian Square, the city of Boston created an oasis for residents seeking career opportunities in a time of skyrocketing unemployment rates. On Friday, Boston Public Library Career Services presented the Multi-Industry Job Fair at Roxbury's Bowling Building, a collaboration with the City of Boston, Mass Hire Boston, and Youth Build Boston. It's important to hold job fairs uh, because employers are searching for people, um, particularly post-COVID, and it's nice to bring talent uh, together with people seeking talent. Um, we focus on construction for Boston residents, women and people of color, um, but we have opened it up to multiple employers. Uh, five of the uh, 25 or so unions uh, are here today, uh, along with the post office, power core, um, and about 30 other uh, either training programs or employment services. Well, it's a pretty incredible opportunity to have so many different uh, positions available within just one room. Um, it's pretty user-friendly and uh, it's allowed me to just get information about a dozen different positions over the course of 15 minutes. City residents, women, and people of color were encouraged to attend and create connections with organizations offering job and career training in the green industry, construction, transportation, higher education fields, and more. This is a great place for you to come out and for you to look and in the community to get help and the resources that you, ain't, you wouldn't normally have access to, to be able to see the people that you would possibly be working for, to be able to ask the questions that you need to ask. This is a great opportunity to be able to, to come down and actually meet the people, opposed to being on a computer, as opposed to being like in a network center. It's always good to meet the actual employers so you can be able to ask the questions and get the actual responsibility of which it is that you want to do. Career services were available from Harvard University, Franklin Cummings Tech, United States Postal Service, and more, as well as apprenticeship programs in engineering. This is an awesome opportunity for job seekers in Boston. We're in the heart of Roxbury. There's over 30 different companies and unions here. Uh, plenty of opportunities for diversity and inclusion. Um, we have different translators here also to help people who have different language barriers. Um, this is a good opportunity for those looking for uh, opportunities in the trades as well as other industries. Working at the city of Boston and knowing how many people want access to these resources, making sure they're all consolidated under one roof is integral and also you know, most people want to make sure that they can be in the job space, so making sure that we can connect them to the jobs that they actually want and feel fulfilled in is huge and, and, and really important community work. The Massachusetts Executive Office of Labor and Workforce Development reported 3.2% unemployment rate in the city of Boston, which sits lower than the national average of 3.7%. With efforts like Boston Public Library's Industry Job Fair, work opportunities are becoming more accessible. 
Following up on our story on migrant issues in Boston, Tuesday was a breakthrough for migrants who are in search of housing. La Collaborativa has opened their immigrant services facility to individuals and families seeking shelter after being shut out of the current evening-only safety net shelter in the Registry of Deeds building in Cambridge during daytime hours, leaving them to fend for themselves during the cold winter days. Those affected are calling on Governor Healy to expand the hours that the evening shelter is available in order to better suit the needs of migrants trying to adjust and progress their success in the area. BNN will continue to update on the migrant influx issues on Boston. Although it's our First Amendment right as citizens of the United States, freedom of press should be the first priority of all journalistic institutions. Pratika Katiyar is a student journalist and student press freedom activist from Northeastern University. She visited the studio to discuss yesterday's Student Press Freedom Day and the current battle student journalists are facing due to censorship. Here's our conversation. So Pratika, I'd love to get started with your involvement in the Student Press Law Center. How did you become involved? Yes, so it all started when I was a sophomore in high school. I was working with the Student Press Law Center after experiencing instances of self-censorship in my high school. Uh, as I kind of progressed through being editor and editor-in-chief of my paper, I witnessed more instances of students, including myself, self-censoring stories out of fear of backlash or consequences from our administrators. And that's when I learned that this was a problem not just at my high school, but across high schools in my home state of Virginia and across the country. So I reached out to the Student Press Law Center and found out that they were working on initiatives to restore First Amendment protections for student journalists across the country. So I began working on advocacy efforts with them and learned a lot about grassroots organizing. And since then, I've been involved in college as a Student Press Law Center board member, kind of helping move that mission forward and helping other students as well. Hmm, that's great. And what is Student Press Freedom Day and why is it important to spread awareness around it? So Student Press Freedom Day is a national day of action to show that student journalists are persistent and they're able to cover these really important stories and they should be able to do so without censorship. So across the country, student journalists are really at the forefront of all the issues that we're facing right now. I mean, they have been for a while during COVID breaking all the news about what's going on on campuses, but amidst mass shootings, amidst climate crisis, crises and attacks on reproductive freedom, I think that college journalists and high school journalists to an extent are really covering what's going on in their communities and filling in local news gaps with their surrounding communities as well. So it's really important to raise awareness of the issues that they're facing so we can allow them to continue this coverage and be a really consequential part of filling in local news gaps. Absolutely, and student journalists are incredibly vital voices and we're so appreciative of them. And can you tell us a little bit about some of the reasons why student journalists uh, get censored? There's a lot of different reasons. A lot of it stems down to the administration's perception of what students are reporting. So a lot of it can be optics and the way that 
the school might look a lot of the times when it comes to issues of sexual assault or even smaller issues about diversity and equity on campus. Stu uh, school administrators may censor student journalists and not want that story to get out there because it may look, make the school look bad. Other times it's just that they don't think student journalists are mature enough to grapple with these issues that they're covering or they don't believe that they're covering them adequately and that can lead to censorship as well. Hmm. And how can we help restore uh, student press freedom? There's a lot of different ways, but the biggest one I would say uh, is a legislative fix. Across the country, there's this movement called New Voices, which is working to restore and protect student journalists' First Amendment freedoms. Currently, 33 states don't have these laws in place, but 17 of them do. So working to make sure that those 33 states get those laws passed and working with student journalists across the country, supporting them and helping them in their initiative to not only get these laws passed, but to continue reporting without censorship. Hmm. Uh, and as a student journalist, um, it can be a, you know, a precarious field sometimes when you're digging into a, a, a tough story. What are some of the rights that student journalists should be aware about when it comes to uh, the stories that they tell? There's definitely a lot of different components to reporting a story, like you said. I would say knowing your rights when it comes to going to a protest. So I know the Student Press Law Center has protest guides. I think that's been a really big issue lately of student journalists not being able to cover protests or take photos at protests, knowing that you have the right to cover these events, uh, as well as looking at your state and seeing if you have new voices protection in place. Here in Massachusetts, student journalists do have a new voices law in place, so they theoretically shouldn't be facing censorship on any stories that they're reporting because there is a law in place to protect them. So student journalists can look up their state and see if it has a new voices law. If it doesn't, they're, help, they're welcome to join a coalition within the state to kind of get that, that law passed uh, to better protect themselves and other student journalists. Hmm. And Student Press Freedom Day is actually a national effort. So all across the country, uh, schools and journalists are doing different things. Can you highlight some of the events that are happening locally to honor Student Press Freedom Day on uh, February 22nd? Yes, so the New England First Amendment Coalition, they have events on their website about protecting press freedom uh, and student press freedom, as well as studentpressfreedom.org. Uh, virtual events so that anyone across the country can join in. Some of them are on data-driven journalism or college journalists and how they're filling in local news gaps. And there's also recorded uh, events on the Student Press Law Center's YouTube or studentpressfreedom.org where you can look at past events we've done. So I myself led one last week on student press freedom and online harassment with Taylor Lorenz and Sarah Swetlick. Uh, where they talked about issues that students are facing online as they report stories. And how can our viewers learn more about the work going on at Student Press Law Center? So our viewers can go to splc.org. The Student Press Law Center does have a legal hotline. Any student journalist out there that may be facing censorship or copyright issues, whatever it may be, they're welcome to contact the hotline and they'll be in touch with SPLC's lawyers. Uh, splc.org also has a lot of guides. So if a student journalist doesn't know how to cover a certain topic, they can look at their pronoun guide or the protest guide. We also have an AI guide, which is definitely very timely. And if you're not a student journalist, but you just want to support SPLC, we're 100% donation run. So it's really important work that we're doing and we need everyone's support. 
I love that. Pratika Katiyar, board member of the Student Press Law Center in the future of uh, media communications and law. Thank you so much for being here. Truly, truly appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me, Faith. It was great talking to you. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. As a reminder, you can stream or watch the news on demand at bnnmedia.org. Each episode will be rebroadcast at 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Xfinity Channel 9, Astound Channel 15, and Fios Channel 2161. And make sure to check out our BNN HD Xfinity Channel 1072. You can also listen to us on the radio Fridays at 7.30 p.m. and 9 p.m. and Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. And now you can watch BNN News on the go with the Cablecast app. For BNN News, I'm Faith Mathedon. I'll see you 